Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, your host, and I am very excited today for our next guest to join us all the way from Doha, the Middle East, one of the giants of logistics, if I remember, Michael Wingate. Michael, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Christian? I am doing great. I'm doing okay, all things considered. I'm sure it's a lot cooler here in Salt Lake than it is back there in Doha. What takes you to Doha, I guess, first and foremost? What what are you doing there? Well, I am the head of logistics here for the 2022 uh, FIFA World Cup which is going to be coming here in a couple uh, couple years. The world is coming. So I am still involved in multi in, in large events. And my travels have, or our travels have taken us here. Wow. How long have you been there? Since September. So not not very long. This is our, our first summer um, experience uh, here in, 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 in Doha. So we're excited. We're so excited that outside it is a... It's probably, uh, sorry, I was going to say in, in metric terms, it's about 30, which is about 80, 90. Um, but my wife has the AC so high, I'm in a sweater. So uh, it is what it is. Um, it's it's funny. You know, I worked in Doha for the 2006 Asian Games. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. It could be a blistering hot outside, but they kept the building so cool inside yes. that we were all freezing. You know, yes. we all had to work. Um, uh, suit jacket or something inside just to just to keep us um, from freezing to death there yeah. in Doha. You mentioned you're working there on the on the World Cup. Have they has the organization the preparations that have been affected at all by what's going on with the whole COVID and everything? A lot of the preliminary tournaments have uh, been affected. Uh, we've had a couple of tournaments uh, delayed this year. So when I say we, I'm talking the, the FIFA World FIFA family. Uh, and 21 has some uh, effects as well. But I think we're going to be okay uh, moving forward. We have continued our planning as if uh, we're going to have the games on schedule. And because our games are actually in the winter uh, of 2022. So uh, we, we actually start operations, uh, start the tournament in, in December. Now, are you able to go into the office or do you have to like work from home? We are working from home. We are in, I think, two and a half weeks, two and a half months now of working from home, self-quarantine. There are some strict measures here that you have to have the mask uh, before you go outside. You have to have a, a particular app on your phone that tracks your health and everyone else's health in the in the country. And um, going to grocery stores are open, but you have to have um, get a, a test before you walk into the grocery stores. And of course, the, the usual uh, gloves and your your, um, your hand wash. You have to have those things uh, in, in place before you can go into the store. So that's what's happening here in, in Doha. And do they anticipate reopening anytime soon? I mean, here in the states, I mean. Most of the states are in some phase of reopening. I mean, there are a few, there are a few places where they're still pretty much in a shelter-in-place scenario. But there are a lot of economies that are opening back up again. Here in Utah is no exception. We're we're now in kind of the phase three of uh, four phase reopening. Yes. Um, do you foresee that, or they foresee that there in Doha anytime soon, or you uh, sheltering in place for the foreseeable future? As a matter of fact, uh, there is also talk about a four phased. Um, 
reopening of the of the country. Um, right now, we're still in the the first phase, which is all the grocery stores are open, all the pharmacies are open, restaurants are open for uh, carry out only or delivery only. Uh, so that that is the, the measures in place. And as we move forward into let's say August. Um, is I think is the last phase uh, of, of the of the cycle. Then I think we'll be back to normal if things continue as they as they are. Well, I hope so for everyone's sake. There, yes. um, it's hard to shelter in place in your home for an extended period of time, and and even though we can connect with each other digitally, and that's a tremendous blessing, I believe. Yes, um, it is. People do crave that face-to-face interaction. So I hope things that you know can continue smoothly. And as for us in the states, I hope they can. They can continue smoothly as well. We've been dealing with, as you know, um, some really unprecedented protests here, yes. which cause very cr- large crowds to gather together in close proximity. And I hope that, uh, you know, for everyone that we can be peaceful and also uh, right. healthy so that we don't have to incur another wave of shutdowns. Right. Uh, my, my thoughts and prayers are with everyone back home. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Uh, first and foremost. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. And that's our, our, our wish as well as for everyone to stay, to stay safe and healthy and protected. We've talked a lot about what's going on these days, but mm-hmm. uh, we're really here to talk about what happened 20 years ago or so. Uh, Can and you believe so, it was 20 years ago? Wow. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. And um, for me, it's been an absolute joy to connect with so many people and reminisce about the preparation and the delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 games. And I really am grateful for you for taking time to join us here to talk about that. And so I want to talk a little bit about your journey. Okay. You know, what were you doing prior to Salt Lake and how did you find yourself in Salt Lake City? So uh, I worked on the 1996 Atlanta uh, Olympic Games. Uh, that was my first taste of uh, this this movement of the Olympics. I've seen it on TV, um, but, you know, working there was, was something else. And that was my hometown or the town that I was living in, rather. And um, after the games, I said I, w- I got married and we had a kid and I was going to settle in Atlanta and, and make it work and make that that Olympic experience work for me. And it was working for a while. But then again, I, I got the itch, the itch of the games were in Salt Lake were coming. And a lot of my friends and colleagues were in Salt Lake working. And uh, I got the itch and I made a call to my, my mentor and uh, former boss by the name of Ron Delmont. If you haven't uh, reached out to him, if you, I'm sure you know him, remember him from the games, but I reached out to Ron and I remember clear as day, I was at walking out of a office depot um, and I called him and said, hey, is there any opportunities there for, for me? And this was October of 2000, uh, 2000. And a couple weeks later, he's like, yes, we have an opportunity. Would you be interested? And by Christmas, uh, we were packing up the house and getting ready to move to Salt Lake City. So uh, my, my journey was, was into Salt Lake City was very quick uh, and, and so thankful that I did it. So thankful. Well, I have to ask, I mean, you come from Atlanta, which is your hometown. Uh, Salt Lake City is a very different 
place than Atlanta <laughs> on many levels, you know, yes. uh, geographically, you know, climate wise, as well as culturally. Mm-hmm. What was that like, you know, coming from your hometown of Atlanta into this new frontier of Salt Lake City? I have so many great stories to tell you. Um, the first one is we're coming in Salt Lake City and it's wintertime. So I have I, I grew up in South Carolina, lived in Atlanta. So we've seen snow. But the snow is it's there for a day and then it's, the sun comes out and it's gone. So we, we, we've made very meager snowmen and snowwomen and all that kind of stuff. So we played in the snow. I've seen it before. So we come to Salt Lake City. It's the middle, middle of winter and boom, we're inundated into this, this, uh, this, this new climate. Now, um, we, when we see snow, we think it's cold. So we have the, the wool and the scarves and the gloves and the, we, we look like Eskimos, my family uh, and I. So that was our first um, introduction to Salt Lake City. A month or two in, we got used to it and we were out with, uh, you know, maybe two months or so into it. We were out with, you know, sweat jackets and, and uh, you know, maybe a hat, but we quickly climatized to the, the Salt Lake uh, uh, weather. And it was it was good. It was it was deemed the the best snow in the world or something like that. Um, and I remember that it, it was it was the perfect snow, the, the actual, absolute perfect snow. The phrase that they use here, their motto is the greatest snow on the earth. The greatest snow on earth. Yes, yes, um, yes. Which is a play on the the Barnum and Bailey Circus theme which was the greatest show on earth right right and so yeah we 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 are a little biased i guess you would say when it comes to our snow quality (laughs) now i have to say in a full confession that before we started this call or before we started recording this session you showed me a pretty expansive list of notes and i want to make sure we get to all of those (laughs) you had so many stories to share about your arrival here in salt lake so Mm -hmm. Let's just start going through the stories. What have you got? Okay, so we arrive here and immediately after that, you know, you have the induction and all that stuff. But immediately after that, so this is uh, the the winter of 2001 now, um, Ron tells me that I'm going to work at UOV, uh, Utah Olympic, sorry, UOP, UOP, Utah Olympic Park for the remainder of the test event season. Now, I'm a black man from, again, South Carolina, Atlanta. We don't see mountains. Um, and, and that's where he, I am. I'm, I'm in a culture shock. I'm, I'm, I'm in an element that is not, I'm not used to. I don't have the proper gear. I don't have snow boots. I don't have, you know, rain uh, or snow pants. I, I am ill-prepared for this adventure. But I'm there and uh, we quick, quickly, you know, acquire some some uh, some gear and we spend three months or so on Utah Olympic Park at Utah Olympic Park observing ski jumps and bobsleigh and, and skeleton. Uh, it, it was a wealth of, of uh, new experiences for me. We'll never forget. I saw my first moose uh, up there. Uh, it was a great, great experience. It was hard work because we had a lot of uh, World Cup, uh, World Cup events in a very short amount of time. 
but it was a, a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, introduction to winter sports. So tell us a little bit about logistics and your role. So what was it that you were responsible for doing? Did you stay at Utah Olympic Park um, for games time or did you work at a different venue during the games? Okay. So at Utah Olympic Park, I was assisting a fellow colleague of mine by the name of Jim Wright. Um, uh, Jim Wright was the, the lead and I was the assistant. But logistics was responsible for all the, the FF&E, the furniture, fixtures, and equipment required at the, at the park. We were moving a lot of barricades. We were doing shoveling snow. We were doing everything, anything for the success of the, of the tournament uh, or for the success of the, the events. And it was, uh, again, just a wonderful experience. After the test events were over, uh, my role uh, shifted a bit, and I was responsible for Utah Olympic uh, UOV. Yes, the Oval, Utah Olympic Oval uh, in Kearns. I was the VLM uh, responsible for that venue. And it was another wonderful experience, Uh, again, we don't have, um, uh, we don't do a lot of skating on ice uh, where I'm from. And I had an opportunity to see this ice that was deemed the fastest ice in the world. Um, I get, I got to see this, this ice and the performances on that ice and all the records that were broken. It was a tremendous experience. Before the tournament, I'm sorry, before the games, uh, the, the venue manager and the venue team allowed all the uh, staff to come and skate on that ice. Uh, I got to admit that it wasn't very fast when I got on it, but it was still just considered the fastest ice in the world. Um, and I have a great picture of me and my daughters uh, skating or at least standing on that ice. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, let's keep going down your list here, Michael. What else have you got on your list that we, we've got to we've got to get on tape? Um, so by, uh, we land in, in Salt Lake City and it's during a bad inversion. Um, it's smog, the, 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 the cloud level was very low and you couldn't see a lot of visibility. Um, we were, this was the case for about three or four days. And this was we were staying in our, our guest house somewhat downtown. Um, when we went to go look at uh, places to live, uh, a realtor picked us up and we started driving east on, on 80. And right about that time, the, the inversion was lifting. And as we're driving east, we just looked up and we saw these mountains just, you know, arise from the, from the ground that reached out to the heavens. Again, in Atlanta, we don't see this type of uh, topography. And you get to Salt Lake City and you see the mountains, you see the Wasatch, and then you look behind and you see the ochres. It was a, 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 another great experience for us. And we had our, our jaws just open looking at, you know, the, this, this uh, wonderful uh, mountain range. Uh, it, it was great. Um, another, st- another story I, I have is working up in, in the Utah Olympic Park. Um, uh, there was a, one guy who was there. He was the quirkiest guy I ever, ever worked with, but he was the hardest working person ever. He ran to everywhere he needed to go. If you tell, told him to go get a chair from 50 feet away, he would run full sprint 
to get that chair and run full sprint back. He never got tired. He was the hardest working guy, quirkiest guy I've ever, uh, ever met. But I have great respect for that, that gentleman. I forgot his name, unfortunately. Jim Wright would know his name, but uh, a really, really good guy. Well, maybe we could get Jim or, or Ron uh, or, or other people on here. You, yes. you mentioned, you've mentioned some some names already and Ron being your mentor, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about these people uh, that you worked with and um, how they impacted you in your experience there in Salt Lake. I have to go back to, to Atlanta where it all started again. And I got involved in logistics in a very weird way. And I'll try to tell the story without tearing up because it's, it's very emotional to me. But um, I, I got involved and Ron gave me my first chance. He, he gave me an opportunity to work in logistics and I fell in love. And I think I did a pretty good job because I wouldn't have gotten cho- chosen for for Salt Lake if I, if I hadn't. Um, but he was very instrumental in telling me and showing me about logistics and uh, the, the metal that you have to have and the, um, the drive and the, the passion for figuring this all out. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of uh, stakeholders involved. And to get it all right is it, it takes skill, some luck, uh, but a lot of skill. And, and he told us and showed us how to do that. Um, he made it, you know, step by step, showed us, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to think about. How do you apply it to your venue, et cetera, et cetera. And to this day, Salt Lake City is the event that I'm chasing. That is the event that that is the gold standard for me. Uh, the 2002 Winter Games is the event that I will measure every event that I work uh, on afterwards up against. That is the, the, the number one for me. So well planned, so well organized. Everything worked. Everyone worked together. It was a it was truly a one in a. I, I worked on. 10 or so multi-sport events. That is by far the best one, by far. Well, that's very high praise coming from a games veteran or a multi-sport event veteran uh, such as yourself. And I mean, I have that, I have that view, but you know, which, which I fully admit I'm from Salt Lake city. So, Mm -hmm. so as you said, Atlanta was your hometown and you worked there. Salt Lake city is my hometown. I wasn't born in Salt Lake, but was raised here. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I look at it through a biased eye, but that's high praise. Hopefully, we'll have another opportunity to do it again. Yes, it's not very biased. I think Salt Lake City, um, if you look at the landscape of what was happening in, in, the, in the States up until that point, that was the culmination of all the events, the 1994 World Cups and the 1996 Atlanta Games and the World University Games. There's a lot of learnings and, and a lot of those people took those learnings and, and really showcased it very well in 2002 in Salt Lake City. And I think that was the culmination uh, of the, the, um, the, the U.S. run on, on, on events there. And it, like I said, it was... It was by far the best one. Well, I do have to ask the question. Um, you know, some people, they work one of these events and they're done, or they work one or two of these events and they're done and they move on to something else. Um, but you've mm-hmm. stayed in this space uh, for a long time. Have you had opportunities to go back into the kind of regular real world, uh, work in the pi- private sector, public sector 
you know, what is it that keeps you associated with major events? A couple things. It's a great question. It's actually a question that I ask every time I interview a person. Um, the first thing is, this is my passion. This is what I would do every day, all day, if I didn't get paid for it at all. Now, I, I do like eating and I, the mortgage has to be paid. So, um, but this is, this is my passion. Um, yes, I've had opportunities to work in the private sector, but there is, there's such a rush for working these, these events where you see it from the ground up, you see it as an infant and you see it grow up as a, as an adult. Um, and then you have to dismantle it all. But, uh, yeah, it is, it is such a rush to see that, to see the results of your work. See the results of the hard work that you put into planning. See the results of the many spreadsheets that you've uh, that you, you've done. See the results of having that communication with your colleagues. Uh, see it result to uh, what's happening at the on the venue level. There is there is not many industries that that will allow you to see that kind of impact on that kind of level. And when you also see, and, and that's just the back of house, when you see the event take place and you see the athletes come and compete at a high level and win medals and break records and to say that you had a hand in that, there is nothing else better than that. There's nothing else. You know, <clears throat> there's a there's a term that's uh, commonly used in describing people like you who kind of go from event to event uh, as games gypsies, right? Mm -hmm. You just kind of keep moving from event to event. Um, that's, and that's, that's not, it's that's not, me. yeah, it, now it's not common, right? Because most people work the event and then they just kind of go back to the regular lives, but there are a few people that stay in this space and you're certainly one of them. It's even less common for people with families, with children to, to live that kind of lifestyle. So what's that like? you know, um, moving from event to event and also kind of having to kind of uproot and put yourself in a new city, learning about uh, new cultures and new ways of doing things. Yes. I, I got to admit, uh, my wife has been um, the star of this show um, because for the most part, she stayed at home with the kids. Now, we have traveled most of the times with them. They traveled with us uh, to to Salt Lake City. They traveled with us, uh, or at least one of them traveled with us uh, to Vancouver. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to take them to Russia because I wasn't quite sure how Russia was going to, uh, the, the education in Russia. And they also begged me, Dad, can, I mean, we love to travel, but can we at least stay in the same place so I can finish high school? So I made that commitment to him and my wife made that commitment. But she's a star of that show. But now that both kids are, are gone and we're empty nesters, we can both travel now and, and, and see these wonderful lands and, and put on these events. So I think I might have um, uh, uh, might have rambled a bit, but that's how we've been able to do it. We we've. Uh, we, for the most part, we've traveled with them, uh, but now that they're older and, and able to uh, get off daddy's pay payroll, that's, that's the, not fair because they, they've been off daddy's payroll for a while now. Uh, they're good kids. But uh, now that we're empty nesters, uh, we can travel. We're free to travel and, and pursue this lifestyle. 
Well, and one thing that's, I think, completely amazing and awesome is for children to have an opportunity to see different places and experience different cultures. I had four children and uh, we never did. I never did actually relocate to other cities. I would just kind of Mm -hmm. fly in and fly out, but I had opportunities Mm -hmm. to take them with me to different places to experience them. And I'm glad that they had that opportunity because I think it's important for them to to see that there's a whole big world out there. Um, not just, you know, this little town of Salt Lake city, but there, there exists this whole other, you know, very, very interesting, uh, different perspectives and ways of living. And I think it's important for people to, to see that if they have that opportunity to do so. Can you imagine, um, uh, the, the advantages that your child children have having seen, you know, other cultures and having seen, you know, the other part of the world, um, that that puts them in a, in a level that is that is far and above others. Uh, so I, I'm not trying to down because it, in America we, we tend to just stay in America. There's a there's a sect of Americans that, that can tend to stay in America, but then there's also others that travel out and, and you see the world, you see the things in a different light. And I think that's the advantage that we give our children. Um, that that um, maybe others may not have the opportunity to to give their children. So uh, kudos to you for for traveling with them and and exposing them to different areas. Well, it's been a lot of fun, and of course, I've gotten off on a tangent here because we kind of <laughs> left the Salt Lake thing. So let's come back to Salt Lake because I know you spent a lot of time and effort preparing your list. What other uh, great stories do you have there on your list, there, Michael? So um, I'm cutting grass in Sandy, Utah. Uh, I live in a cul-de-sac on a corner, and it's the summer of 2001, so we're getting ready to start a lot of the the uh, the, the hiring for our, our logistics teams. So I'm standing, like I said, cutting grass, and a kid walks up to me, and he says, um, first of all, let me just go back and say that the buzz in the Salt Lake was, was amazing leading up to the games. We, the people were very excited about it. They were very welcoming about it. the, the Olympics coming to their country, their city. So there was a lot of um, excitement. So a kid walks up to me and says, I heard that you, you work for the Salt Lake Olympic Committee. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, I'm, I, what, what do you do? I work in logistics. Oh, wow, I'm interested in, in logistics. That sounds like a, a very interesting um, uh, area. I said, well, well great. Uh, send me your resume. And um, I gave him my, my, um, my email address. He reaches in his pocket, pulls out a folded piece of paper and hands it to me. Here it is. So instant, instant uh, access right there. Um, people were just excited about the games and, and my neighbors were, were um, excited about me working for the games. And, and, and I helped as many as I could to, uh, to be a part of that as well. <laughs> That's so amazing. I can just see you out there mowing your lawn and something walking up to you. <laughs> that just sounds hilarious. <laughs> All right, Michael, what else you got on your list? Uh, let's see. Let's see. That's, oh, oh here's another story. So um, this during the game's time, um, me and my DBLM, is, we're standing in front of the venue, and we're kind of looking at the spectator concourse that's in front of us. And we see this in the, out of the corner of our eye, this, this Asian gentleman, 
he's carrying a TV. Now, back in that day, the TVs were heavy. So they weren't the, the light uh, TVs that we have today. So they were, he, he was pronounced carrying a, a television. And he's steadily walking across the spectator concourse, but he's not coming in. He's actually walking to the exit. And we're just kind of shocked that he's walking across the people are coming in and he's going across. So we said we should probably pursue him to see where he's going with this, this TV. We ended up catching up to him and comes to find out that he was relocating the TV from somewhere um, uh, downtown to somewhere close to where they were living. It was all legit transfer a transaction, but it was just strange that he got on a bus and then walked across a venue to exit a venue to take a TV. Uh, it, it, it just, it just uh, amazed me how, how that happened. My, my, my last story is, is kind of a somber one. I probably shouldn't have uh, ended with this, but it's uh, early September and we're getting ready to bump into the venue uh, early uh, delivery to the, to the venue. So we're expecting a couple of trucks and all of a sudden I get a telephone call and my wife says, go to the tele- uh, go find a television. What's going on? I'm, I'm waiting on some, some trucks. She said a plane just fell, uh, flew into the World Trade Center. We rushed to uh, same DVLM, uh, my assistant. We rushed to uh, find a TV, and we now find out that 9/11 is happening. Of course, we cancel the trucks. We go home. We are sitting glued to a television all day, looking at the footage. And um, I remember after that the ingenuity and the coming together of all the, the team and the teamwork and, and, and all those, those buzzwords, um, we changed our whole policy. And that happened across multiple venues, uh, across the whole organization. We changed uh, certain things and um, at the behest of the, of the Secret Service. But, uh, you know, things changed in, a, in an instant. Uh, in America and for the multi-sports. And we were part of that. We were, we were the, uh, the, the leading edge of that. And, you know, of course, the event was not the, the greatest event, but I, I just love the flexibility and the understanding and the working together and the teamwork that led uh, after that. Well, Michael, I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, uh, so many people have mentioned what happened that day and then the days following, yeah. weeks and months following, uh, yeah. to adjust preparations there at the last minute to deliver the event successfully. And so I have two questions for you that aren't necessarily directly related to that, but that put a lot of pressure on the entire organizing committee to adjust its operations. You mentioned that Salt Lake was kind of the bar for you, but that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily that was all easy. It wasn't all rainbows and unicorns, right? So right. were there any particular challenges uh, related to logistics? But people don't really even understand, you know, how critical the role of logistics is in, in major events. I mean, how do athletes have the equipment to, to, to perform? You yes. know, it has to be there somewhere and, mm-hmm. or somehow. And everything that's on a venue has to be put there by somebody. Were there any specific challenges? They could have been actually funny challenges, but any specific challenges that you faced 
um, leading up to and during the games uh, with respect to logistics? Honestly, Christian, um, our, our leadership was such a, we're, we're, they were so on point. We didn't have any real challenges uh, other than the security um, protocols that changed a bit. But we were we were expecting some uh, security protocol. So that didn't really change our operations. Maybe we tweaked it a little bit, but not changed it. But we have very good leadership where they shielded us a lot from a lot of the the challenges that that maybe other groups might have uh, experienced. But there were there were none that we that we saw. My last question, or my second question, is actually uh, prompted by you telling the story of the guy carrying the television, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 that's a disillusion. You know, people don't think about that. Like, oh, well, all that stuff has to be shipped in mm-hmm. <laughs> to the venue. Then it all has to be taken out. Yes, of the venues, and and some of that is sold off, and some of that is returned to to. Um, owners or if, you know, equipment's leased and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but dissolution and sometimes can be a challenge. You know, you, you have uh, opportunity for equipment to just walk away. <laughs> like you said, with this guy potentially carrying the television. Yes. So um, was uh, dissolution also a pretty smooth p- uh, process or did things, uh, were you worried about things potentially walking out of the building? Again, with the, with the introduction of the secret service and, and increased uh, police presence, I, I had no literally no um, issues with, with that. We had strict protocols where you couldn't even bring equipment on the venue without us knowing about it, uh, even if it was your own personal um, uh, equipment. So we had strict protocols around that. Um, no, uh, there, there was no issue in terms of theft, uh, maybe in terms of damage. Um, and if I remember correctly, there, we got a big snow dump in the mountains and one of the tents collapsed or something to that effect. Um, and there was even a big snow dump in the, in the, in the city, but nothing to the effect of, you know, damaging the property. So there was no, uh, issues with, with that. Again, having Salt Lake being the bar, I remember that there were several instances. I bought my first VCR slash DVD player uh, from a surplus sale that the Salt Lake uh, uh, teams uh, allowed. That was the, my first taste of uh, of having employees purchase things even before the games were over, uh, purchase surplus equipment. And I, again, I thought that that's how it was supposed to be. So the next games I go to, I'm looking forward to the, the next employee purchase, which didn't quite happen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, again, that, that was the bar. After the games, I remember we had, uh, we, we packed up trucks to be donated to certain schools. Uh, we had employee sales. We had public sales. We had a very robust dissolution program uh, that allowed everyone to take part in the games, whether you got a, a piece of fence or you got a, uh, a cabinet or a chair or whatever from the games. Everyone had a chance to, if they didn't come to the games and actually experience it or see it on TV, they got a chance to, to take something tangible. And again, that is the, the bar that I, I talk about that was set so high because everyone got a chance to taste it. 
Yeah, we bought a few items uh, for our for ourselves uh, after the games were over, and and one of those uh, I, I bought a couple of the like little wallets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I still use. Later, <laughs> <laughs> still using these wallets. Um, to close us up, we've got three questions for you, Michael. Okay. And the first question is about music. So, mm-hmm. is there a particular song that you hear today? Whenever you hear it, it makes you think of your time there in Salt Lake City. This and see, I'm embarrassed to say this because I'm a music guy, but I don't, I don't remember. Maybe because I'm getting old and I don't remember very well, but I don't have a song per se that that reminds me of Salt Lake City. Unfortunately, that's that's, that's sad. It's very sad. <laughs> no worries. You don't have to apologize for not having a song. Uh, <laughs> we have plenty of songs on our Spotify playlist. What about food, though? Do you have any particular restaurants that you like to go to, either there in uh, downtown Salt Lake City or near you live near where you live there in Sandy? I, I got to tell you this. Um, when we, we went to Zeppas, right? Zeppas was a restaurant there. It was a fast food place. Yes. Um, they had the best, cheapest ice cream cones. We still talk about those today. If uh, if we're driving and it's a summer day and we're like, let's, let's, let's pull in and get some ice cream. So uh, I think it was 25 or 35 cent ice cream cones were the best. Other than that, we, we were the typical, um, you know, Chinese food, fast food, you know, the, nothing that was, that was, um, you know, really home to Salt Lake city other than, uh, was it sugar house barbecue? Yep. I, I do remember making a couple of trips to sugar house. Well, I'm happy you brought up ice cream actually. Uh, because ice cream is kind of the official state dessert here in Utah. Uh, Utahns are known of known as I don't know if this is still true, but at one point in time, I think uh, we ate more ice cream per capita than any other state in the union. And nice. uh, we only nice. love our ice cream. So thanks for bringing up the ice cream. Uh, no for us, um, up the street from us was a store called Macy's, and Macy's had what they called the Kong Cone. Uh, which was a massive mm-hmm. uh, soft serve uh, ice cream cone when my kids oh. were younger. Uh, you know, they would like to get oh. one of those massive cones. So that would put you in an ice cream coma. Uh, within- <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a mess happening in the backseat right there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, hor- <laughs> horrible, horrible. Um, all right. Let's get to our final memory. Okay. You have a particular memory of the games that for you is just uh, a really feel good. Um, inspirational memory? Yes. Um, I, I think I touched on it, but in the Salt Lake, uh, in the Oval, uh, the Utah Olympic Oval, there were several records that were broken, uh, speed skating records that were broken. And the Oval was such a, it's a large venue, but it was also very small and, and kind of uh, intimate. And when the American skaters won medals, you just heard a chance of USA, USA. And the, and the stands were, I want to say that they were the, the medal stands. So you just heard the, you know, the, the stomping and the chanting. And it was just, you know, you, you get goosebumps today thinking about, you know, being in your home country, um, your, your uh, in your case, your home city, you know, putting on the world, this world event and your team winning, Team USA winning and just being a part of that. It was second to none. 
All right. And that's a fitting story for us to conclude our podcast episode. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. If people do want to reconnect with you to learn more about what you're doing in logistics, they're mm -hmm. in Doha, social media, other ways, what's the best way for them to contact you? My email address is uh, m well, michael.wingate at 2022.qa. michael.wingate at 2022.qa. All right. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Doha. I wish you and your wife safety and thank you. Uh, happiness during this pandemic. And I hope you come out of it. Uh, okay. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast again, Michael, thank you for the time. Thank you, sir. Take care, everyone.